0: Lord, we do pray today that you'd have your way. Lord, here we are. We're gathered for you. We're gathered because we love you, and we want you to do what you want to do here in this room, and Lord, in every home that right now is connecting with us as part of this family, we ask you to do all that's in your heart. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, our passage this morning is the book of Numbers, chapter 6, verse 24 through 26. For many of you, this is a familiar passage. My hope and prayer today is that it will fall fresh on all of us. Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 through 26 reads like this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Now, these words were first given in the context of a book, the book of Numbers, in the context of a book, that was written at the end of Israel's wilderness wanderings as they prepared to enter into the promised land. So the book of Numbers really looks backward and it looks forward. It's looking backward as the covenant people of God, he wants them to remember God's past blessings. But also in the book of Numbers, it looks forward, encouraging all of the covenantal people of God, of his future promises. These words were not given for Israel's priests to ask God that he do this, hoping that he would, and maybe he wouldn't. But rather, these words are God's words. God takes the initiative here to assure his covenantal people of his settled intention to bless them he seems to want to make it very clear that he has, he personally intends to be a source of blessing for us for us to be able to enjoy all the goodness he wants us to be able to experience so today as god's covenantal people through faith in Christ, we are actually the bullseye on the target of God's blessing. Now, it's important to note also right off the bat that it's, again, the Lord himself speaks this blessing. He is the one who speaks and commands this blessing to go forth. He is the one doing it. When the priest Utter these words. It's not that they are conferring the blessing in their power. That's not what's happening here. What they are doing is they're speaking in the name of the Lord what the Lord wants to release. And that's what we're going to do today in just a moment. But before we get to that, let's walk through this blessing so we can understand what it is God wants to pour out. You know, the Bible, in the Bible, there are several different words translated into English as blessing. The Hebrews, uh, the Hebrew word used here in Numbers chapter 6, was used over 200 times. In the Old Testament, and it is the word Barak. When this word is used, and you can get a Bible concordance and look that word up and just read everywhere it appears, and what you will see if you do that is that God promises, when He releases that blessing, He is releasing prosperity, He is releasing health, He is releasing fertility he's reaching a large releasing a large offspring he's releasing success in work he's releasing success in trade he's releasing victory in battle and on and on and on Amen. in fact in the book of Deuteronomy Moses says it this way he says the lord your god will bless you and all your produce and all the work of your hands so that you may all together be joyful. So the truth is simply this. When God blesses his people, things change for the better. When God blesses his people, things change for the better. Now what is remarkable here is that the original meaning of the word Barak literally means on bended knee. It refers to the position in which a person kneels before another on bended knee. In fact, you can think of some of the good old days when, and I hope you husbands did this, where you got down on one knee and you asked for her hand marriage. Some of you have probably seen the movies where a king or a knight was about to go out into battle. He was about to face his enemies. And those who were going to follow this conquering hero would demonstrate their loyalty to him by getting down on one knee. And that is the word Barak, to bless. In fact. Many of you have seen the movies in the Lord of the Rings series, the third one, entitled The Return of the King. There's this one scene where Aragorn is crowned king of men. And if you remember this scene, after he's crowned king of men, what does he do when he sees the four hobbits? What he does after he, when he sees the four hobbits is he himself gets down before them on one knee as a sign of his loyalty to them even though he's the king. It's really a touching scene, actually, in a movie. Well, that's exactly what God is doing when he's blessing his people. He himself is bowing down. He is getting down on one knee, so to speak. He's coming down to our level to bless us, to serve us, to love us, to share himself with us. A little girl once described her experience on an elevator as her first experience. And here's what she said. She said, I got into this little room and the upstairs came down. That's what God does. He comes down to meet us. I mean, what an amazing God we have. He comes down. He bends. He bows uh, to be able to, because we can't reach to him, so he comes down to us. So the very first stanza of this blessing is the Lord bless you. And when God blesses us, things change for the better. And I hope right now you will even be positioning your faith right now to receive what's going to happen here in a moment. That God's that things are going to get better God blesses, things change for the better. So the first stanza is, the Lord bless you, and then he adds, and keep you. Now, what does keeping mean? Well, it's interesting because the word used here is the word shamar. It's related to another word called shamarar, which literally means thorn. See, the picture that God uses here is that of a shepherd. When a shepherd is in the wilderness with his flock, what he would do is he would construct an enclosure around his flock of thorn bushes. What for? To protect his flock from wild animals at night, being able to get to the flock. That is where we get this idea of a hedge of protection. It is God keeping His people. Not only does that hedge of thorns protect the flock from evil that would come from the outside, but the hedge of protection, this thorny hedge, keeps the flock from going, venturing out away from the protection themselves, staying close to the shepherd and close to each other. What God is promising here is to protect us like a shepherd. Protects his sheep in the desert. You know, and by the way, the thorn bushes can be painful if you try to leave uh, and go astray. And God has set it up that way for our own good. To keep us close together and to keep us close to him. It's so important that everyone know this here and everyone online, that you know this, that God is for you. God is for you. He wants to protect you from outside dangers. and He wants also to protect you from veering off and harming yourself. You know, I was thinking about this this week, and I thought, what an awesome video it would be. If, there was, if, if we could see the video of all the moments in our lives where God protected us and we didn't even know it. And then add to that, in that video, all the times that we made some bad choices and, we, and God still intervened and somehow buffered us through it all. That would not be a short video. So this first blessing contains God's promise to take good care of us. He kneels down on bended knee to provide for us not only what we need, but plenty of it. And he builds a fence around us, so to speak, this hedge of protection to keep us from harm and keep us close to him. And Father, we ask right now in the name of Jesus that you would protect Grace Community Church from this pandemic in Jesus' name. Yes. The Lord can keep you because there's nothing he can't do. There's no crises or circumstance circumstance that can overwhelm him. He's never surprised, he's never shaken. Think about this. He made all things. He sustains all things. He rules in all things. Even in every detail of our lives, even on the most difficult days, no hill is too high, no night is too dark for our God. So the Lord can keep you, and he will keep you. So what will he keep you from? anything that might ultimately harm you. That's what from. And by the way, if you are gods, then there's nothing anymore that can ultimately harm you. Think about that. If you're gods, there's nothing that can ultimately harm you. Neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, nor things to come or anything that could threaten you can separate us from the love of God in Christ. It's set. We are eternally safe. You know, Psalm 121 speaks about the Lord God as our keeper. Packed in Psalm 121, verse 5, says, He is your shade on your right hand. The shade on your right hand, what does that mean? I mean, he is so close to you that he is always the shade on your right hand. The one who is nearer to you than anyone else is the one who keeps you. He's always there. In fact, Psalm 121 goes on to basically say there's nothing that can come between us and our God. It says in verse 6, the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. That's this writer's way here in Psalm 121 of saying there's no weapon as, you know, that is fashioned against you that shall prosper, shall succeed. No weapon of man, no weapon of the devil, no weapon of nature can keep God from keeping you. Think about this, and even when we're asleep and your guard is down, you know, even when you, may, you might start off laying there worrying, but finally you fall off to sleep. What does Psalm 121 say? Verse 3 and 4, he who keeps you does not slumber. He keeps Israel, neither slumber nor sleep. He's still awake. And he's keeping you while you're sleeping. Psalm 121, verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. He will keep your life. He'll keep your soul. Now, you might be thinking, well, if he keeps us you know, from all evil, how can it be because there's so much evil that has pressed up against us. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 21, he says, you will be delivered up by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, talking about the last days. And some of you will even be put to death. But then he goes on to say, but not a hair of your head will perish. Wait a second. We can be put to death and not a hair on our head will perish. How can someone be put to death and not a hair on their head perish? Well, Jesus also said this, Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. See, evil can, time to time, press up against us, but it only can do so much. Satan can bring some suffering, but his leash is short. And eternity is long. You know, our flesh, our relationships, our feelings sometimes are painfully vulnerable. But our souls are perfectly and perpetually safe. He will keep your life. And by the way, think about this. Jesus prayed and continues to pray for your keeping. Jesus right now, I believe, is Praying for your keeping. John 17, 11, he said, he prayed this, remember to his father. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, talking about his followers, talking about us. And I'm coming to you, Father. Holy Father, keep them in your name. Keep them in your name. Remember, his name is a strong tower. It's a refuge. It's interesting, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3-5, through 5, that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. He goes on to say that God is keeping for you. And God is keeping you for it. That's where this is all headed. That's where we're going. In the meantime, wherever he calls you to go, However hard, the journey, whatever types of pressures and fears may press against you, Psalm 121, verse 8, ends this way. The Lord will keep you, keep your going out, and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So the Lord will bless you and keep you. That's the first blessing Deuteronomy 6, verse 24. The second blessing says this, And Lord, Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Now, what does it mean for God to have his face shine upon you? Remember when Jesus went up to the mount with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, we call this in Matthew 17, the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember that scene. He goes up and he is transformed as he is in a conversation with Moses and Elijah And it says that his face shines more brightly than the sun. And at that moment, God the Father interrupts this scene and speaks something and says this. says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he says this, listen to him. Listen to him. The one whose face shines like the sun, listen to him. See, I I really think there's a sense in which for the Lord's face to shine upon you, he wants to speak to you. And I want to do this right now and I just want to ask everyone, just close your eyes. Just close your eyes. Those of you online, close your eyes. If there's distractions going on in the room, stop the distractions people moving around in the living room watching. Everyone sit down. Close your eyes, everybody. And I want you to see something with the eyes of your heart. You know your heart does have eyes. Close your eyes and I want you to see this scene. I want you to picture now a beautiful garden, colorful flowers all over the place, as far as you can see. But in the middle of the garden, there is a An opening, a circle surrounded by all these flowers. In the middle of the circle, there are two white iron rod chairs. As you peek through the flowers, you see in the middle in that opening, in one of those chairs sits the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his splendor and glory. Shining bright as the sun. And he sees you peeking through the flowers and he he welcomes you in. Come on in the circle. So now you go in, keep your eyes closed, you go in, and you sit in that other chair, and you're face to face with Christ, and he wants to speak to you. Your eyes are closed, you're looking at him with the eyes of your heart, now listen. Okay, you can open your eyes. Having the Lord's face shine upon you is a beautiful picture of intimacy, communion with the Lord, nearness to him, being in his presence. You know, the story of the prodigal son is, of course, the story of this son who was off in a far land, eating pig food to survive. And as he's far away, he's out of the range of his father being able to help him and bless him. He's out of range in his rebellion. Only when he returns to his father's home could his father bless him, could his father welcome him, provide the party, care for him everything he needed. See, his, the father's face shone with joy when his son came home. And now they're close again. And he can bless him. See, the same is true when God turns his face to, I think it turns into a big smile anytime someone who's been walking away from him just turns to him and comes home. Then he can embrace them in the repentance and bless them. And he wants to. And some of you here and some of you online, there might be something keeping you from getting all the blessing that you could have today because of some unrepentant sin. Some unrepentant, unconfessed sin. You have held on to it up to this point, and it is killing you. And today, the good news is all you have to do is what the prodigal son did and just say, I repent from that, I confess it to you, Lord, and I'm coming home. And God will shine his face on you and bless you. That's the grace of God. That's why his face shines upon you, and he's gracious to you. It says in Psalm 83 times, Restore us, O God, let your face shine. Restore us. We're coming back. Shine your face on us. That's nearness to him, communion with him, and now he can bless you. He can do what he's always wanted to do. You know, salvation, as we know, is not something we deserve. It's only by grace that the prodigal son was welcomed home by his father, the father who rudely rejected. And so it is that same grace available to everybody today. And all we have to do is just say, okay, Lord, I was wrong. I'm sorry for that. I'm back. Forgive me. That's it. And he'll shine his face on you. Be gracious to you. That's the second blessing, but there's a third one. The third blessing that God promises is that He will turn His face toward us and give us the words translated peace. The English word does not do this Hebrew word justice. The word is shalom. He will turn His face toward you and give you shalom. Shalom in Hebrew means peace, but it also means more than that. It means harmony. It means wholeness. It means completeness. It means prosperity and welfare, tranquility. It's also used automatically as a greeting, but it means so much. In fact, I think in order for me to help us understand what this word really carries with it, the weight, I want to tell you what it looks like when there is not shalom. Shalom. Some of our medical people at Grace, and we have many fine doctors and nurses in our church family. Many of you are familiar with what the letters FTT means on a chart, it's usually used with a a child, a newborn, or a you know preemie when they have this on their chart. FTT means that they're not able to gain weight, they're not able to grow. And FTT means failure to thrive. FTT, failure to thrive. So if we study the concept of salvation in in the New Testament, it means so much more than forgiveness and escape from punishment. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. That's thrive. You know, it says that he who has a son has life, not just you don't go to hell. No, you have life. Even when we're dead through our trespasses, God made us alive, alive together with Christ. See, the human condition really is FTT, failure to thrive. That's the human condition. Thrive really is a life word. It is a word that is full of shalom. Thriving really is what life was intended to do. It's like a flower that stubbornly pushes through a crack in the sidewalk and says, I'm alive. Thriving is what God saw when he made life and said, and it was good. Thrive is when he said, be fruitful and multiply. Thrive. Well, today I believe God wants to turn his face towards you and give you shalom. Give you life. Make you thrive. I believe he wants to do even more than that. Remember, Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So for God to give us the fullness of life is to give us more and more of Christ. See, the truth is the Lord is more than the source of blessing. He he himself is the substance of blessing. Experiencing God's blessing is not merely getting good things from God, though that is part of it. The essence of blessing is getting more of God. It's looking up to see that it's just affection and approval in his face as his face shines upon you. To be blessed is to be confident that God has not and will never ignore or abandon you. Since more of God Himself is the substance of blessing, whenever we ask Him to bless us, we're essentially inviting Him to pervade in our lives more. So if I invite Him, I say, I want you to bless my plans. What I'm doing is I'm inviting Him to come in and pervade in those plans and make whatever changes you need to make because I know your plans better than mine anyway. So in asking for his blessing, we're confessing that the outcome of our lives will not be the sum of our grand efforts and accomplishments. Instead, anything and everything good that emerges from our lives will be a result ultimately of his presence in our lives. So if we really believe that God is the substance of blessing, then we won't confess that we're blessed only when things are going good. Instead, when times, even when times are hard, and some of you are in hard times right now, then even when the worst things, even when the worst things that can happen in your imagination are happening, you can still say, You're blessed. Because you have him. Now there are some here, and I and I know this because some here in this room, some online, because I've speak, spoken to so many over the years that struggle with this, struggle with feelings of unworthiness. So, in just a moment, as God releases His blessing, you're thinking, "I know He's going to bless a lot of other people, but not me, because I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy because I'm, you know, I'm I'm unlovely before God. I'm unworthy before God." I want to read something to you from a writer named Mary Ann Bird. Listen carefully. She says this in her writing. I grew up knowing I was different. I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate. When I started school, my classmates made it clear how I looked to others. Little girl, misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, garbled speech. When schoolmates asked, what happened to your lip? I'd tell them I'd fall in and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than have been born different. I was convinced nobody outside my family could love me. Then there was a teacher in the second grade that we all adored, Miss Leonard. Annually, we had a hearing test. Miss Leonard gave the test to everybody in the class. Finally, it was my turn. I knew from past years, as we stood against the door and covered one ear, the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper, and we had to repeat back something like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? I waited for the words that she would speak to me. God must have put in her mouth those seven words, That changed my life. Mrs. Leonard said in a whisper, I wish you were my little girl. See, that's the heart of God toward everyone in earshot today. His heart is simply, you know, I just want you to be mine. I just want to be a father to you. I just want to father you. I just want to bless you. I want to invite the worship team to come on up. So go ahead and make your way quickly, guys and gals, up up to the platform. And I want to invite all of us to stand. Here's what God wants to do today. God wants to bless you and keep you. God wants to shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. He wants to turn his face towards you and give you shalom. He wants to give you peace. He wants to give you life. He wants to make you thrive. Today, I think he wants to give you, every one of you here and at home, he wants to give you more of himself. Because he's not only the supplier of blessing, he is the substance of blessing. So I want to just invite you, hold your hands out with your palms up like you're receiving from God above as he comes down to our level on bended knee. The Lord bless you. and give you Shalom.
1: May yes, be upon you and a thousand generations, in your family, in your children, in their children, in their children. May His favor be upon you.
0: amen. We agree. We receive it. We receive it. We thank you. We thank you for all that you're going to do in us and on us and through us in Jesus name. And we all in agreement say, amen. Amen. Before you're dismissed, before you are dismissed, we're going to dismiss the rose, but I just want to remind you that there is the Discovering Grace membership commitment class at 5 p.m. today. It's two parts, five tonight, seven tomorrow. And uh, you can, it's going to be online as well. But also, if you're new, I'd love to meet you personally. I'll be over in the gym across the parking lot, so you can come on over there. I'd love to meet you. God bless you and be a great blessing this week. And let's begin to dismiss from the back now.